expected Joel to do a little song and dance since we don't have anybody playing the piano during our offering. Or at least Jim come up and do a little song and dance. Not not in the cards, huh, Jim? Yeah. I must tell you how disappointed I am. But I'll get over it. It's good we at least had the uh, title screen for today's message up during the offering. Hopefully we'll see if it impacts the size of the offering at all today. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you're awake. When I first began to seek God's direction for the theme of this morning's message, I immediately had a sense that I was to do a message on giving. And I also immediately thought that at the beginning of this message, I need to apologize. Not so much for doing a message on giving. We'll have to wait and see if I need to apologize, maybe at the end of this morning's message. But for the fact that a few years back, after not hearing a message on giving, in several years at TCF, I promised you that because the Word has so much to say about money and possessions, that we would do something on this theme at least yearly. It's too important not to, folks. It's too important not to. It's too central to a New Testament understanding of servanthood and stewardship. So since the other slackers, I mean elders, uh, have not picked up this ball to run with it, I felt as if I must sacrificially pick it up and run with it today, especially after the elders told me this as we adopted our new budget for 2018. The church board decided to set your housing allowance based on recent giving trends, and then they handed me this box with a four-man pup tent in it. That's my housing allowance for this year. The year 2017, actually, folks, was the first year in six years that we did not meet our general fund income budget, so we have this idea now, too, the Stewardship Committee's latest idea for helping to raise the annual church budget. We have paid bathrooms, 75 cents to get in, and so we figure that will raise a few dollars here and there. We could also ask the same question of ourselves that little Johnny asked his dad at the diner one day, how come the waitress gets 15% and God only gets 10 it's a good question to ask yourself. Of course, we could also retrain our ushers, kind of like this one. This usher is uh, Troy Winky, and he's effectively used sad puppy dog eyes to guilt the congregation into giving 3.7% more than the Sundays that Troy is not ushering. Now, Troy is actually a stand-in for Al Baker. Al, show us those puppy dog eyes. Look at, hey, he's really good at it. He's really good at it. But our training of ushers, when they take the offering, needs to be a little bit deeper than just guilt. We need a little more guilt. You're doing a good job as an usher, it says, but it's called an offering, not a sin tax. Yet as I began to prepare for this message, I began to think about this weird word that we don't really use anymore anywhere, I, I don't hear it hardly ever, anywhere else except in church. It's steward or stewardship. We see this very word and this theme often throughout Scripture. So this morning, we're going to look at this biblical idea of stewardship. And yes, it does encompass financial stewardship, which means how we spend our money and how we give away our money. But it really means so much more than just that. Stewardship is so much more than about money. I feel compelled to speak this morning because of what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful 
to you. There are some things that are easier to preach than other things. But anything that's helpful to you, I don't want to be one who hesitates to preach. We often hesitate to preach messages about giving. And sometimes I think we hesitate to preach messages on giving for good reasons. We don't want to manipulate. We see enough of that in the church at large, and in our, in our nation, and in our world. And frankly, it grieves me to see the way people manipulate to get money. Offering time here at the TCF Sunday service is the most low-key I've ever seen in any church I've ever been to. And that's by design, folks. We don't want to seem to be self-serving. We want you to hear from the Lord about your giving. And we don't want to give, we don't want you to give out of guilt. Like when Al flashes those puppy dog eyes. Or when Paul Brigard maybe comes around and gives you the bag and says, pay up your sin tax. Yet when we hesitate to preach something that's so prevalent, so seen so often in Scripture, we're not doing what we have pledged to do for you as your shepherds. We're not preaching the whole counsel of God. So the whole topic of giving is based upon what and who we are in Christ. The whole topic of giving is we are his slaves, but as his slaves, we are also his stewards. And as we noted, it's not a word you hear in everyday language. One of my roles here at TCF is that I'm the church administrator. Now, if we wanted to be a little more biblical in our language, we might say that I'm the one charged by the elders with the primary stewardship of the details of running the church. I'm just managing what belongs to the church and some of what the church does. And of course, I don't do this alone. I'm just an under-steward of the elders, responsible to them. The elders are under-stewards to God. And in many ways, we're all stewards of what God has given us in this church. And we all share some responsibility to manage God's property well. And there we hit upon what is really the foundational concept of stewardship. It's God's property. It's God's property. He's the owner. It belongs to him. The church, everything we have, everything we are, everything we do as a church is God's. Yes, in a worldly sense, we own this building. Thank God for that. Paid off that mortgage 10 years ago or whenever it was. We, the church, own the chairs. We own this microphone I'm speaking through. We own these video screens. We own the heating units that are keeping us warm on this cold morning. But it belongs to God. We're only managing it. It's all God's. It's not ours. Maybe that's easier to see with a church than it is to see with other things in our lives. But consider this. It's the same with everything. It's all God's. It's the same with each of us who are in Christ as individual believers. C.S. Lewis wrote in uh, Mere Christianity, he said, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Psalm 24, verse 1, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We see this truth throughout Scripture from Genesis onward. God creates everything. He creates it ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That means that his creative ability, which we can only reflect, doesn't rely on things that already exist. When we create, we are reflecting God's creativity, yes, 
but we have to have something to build or create from, don't we? We don't have the building blocks for anything without God, even though we reflect His creativity in the things that we build. God doesn't need pre-existing building blocks for anything because He made the blocks, because He created everything. That makes His claim to ownership total and complete. Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It's all His, folks. When God created the world and everything in it, He created Adam then, and He put Adam to work in the garden to do what? To take care of it. So our work is the stewardship of everything that God created. Stewardship expresses our obedience regarding the administration of everything that God has placed under our control, which is all-encompassing. Stewardship is the commitment of one's self and possessions to God's service, recognizing that we do not have the right of control over our property or ourselves. So can you see how all-inclusive this idea is? Even though we often in church hear it applied almost exclusively to giving money, It's inclusive of everything that we have and everything we are. We, from the time we are small, think of things as either somebody else's or mine, right? One of the first words a little boy or a little girl learns is mine, right? And doesn't that sound like fingernails on a blackboard? Mine, right? I mean, how many parents have heard that? Even us older parents remember that and and, and, and it kind of grates on us as we hear that. It's usually spoken when somebody tries to take something from them, right? Now, consider the irony of this. You're a parent, and you need to take that child's toy away from him or her so he'll eat or do something else you need him to do. And what does he do? He yanks it back and won't let it go, and he says, Mine! You didn't teach him to do that. He just picked it up on his own. He may have witnessed an older sibling doing it, but even if he didn't have an older sibling, he probably did it at one point. But think about it. Who made it possible for that child to have that toy? Of course, it was probably you, the parent, right? You bought it. You paid for it. So in a sense, you own the toy, not the child. I remember saying to my kids when they they got a little older and trying to teach them this concept a little bit, I remember saying to them, you don't have anything. You don't own anything. It's all mine. Your clothes. I bought your clothes. When you start earning money, then maybe you can have some clothes you can call mine, right? Don't we have that idea? But the child, because you gave it to him, thinks of it as his or hers. Mine! Don't we do the same thing? We do the same thing. But we see throughout Scripture, we see this idea that it all belongs to God. In James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In Second Peter 1.3, we see by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. We read in Romans 12, verses 5 and 6, So in Christ... We who are many from one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So we see this idea that everything we have, everything we have, from spiritual gifts to physical gifts, everything is given to us 
by God. So since everything, and that means everything, is from him, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. There we see that word. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Be good stewards, it says, Peter tells us, of God's varied grace. His varied grace includes anything and everything that you can think of. Yes, it does certainly include our money, doesn't it? It includes any possessions we have, from the toothbrush we brush our teeth with to the car we drive, to the clothes we wear, to the food we eat. But it also includes what you can do. You think about the things you're able to do? It includes that. If you're good at building things or fixing things, that's a gift that God gave to you. If you're good at listening to people, some of us are better at that than others. That's a gift that God gave to you. If you're good at cooking or cleaning, that's a gift too. That's a gift from God. If you're good at playing basketball, that's a gift. If you're good at hearing God's wisdom for yourself and maybe others, that's a gift. If you can knit sweaters or you can sew, that's a gift. If you can teach or preach, that's a gift. If you have a lot of money, that's a gift. We tend to elevate spiritual gifts, and that's because Scripture speaks of them as such, spiritual gifts. And they're certainly important. But think about it this way. Every gift is a spiritual gift when you consider where it comes from. If you understand God's ownership of everything. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you didn't get from God? This clear understanding of God's ownership really makes boasting look foolish, if you think about it. You don't have anything that God did not give you. All you are is the manager of what he has given. You are the steward. We have no ownership rights. You know, we always, our culture is very big on rights. This is my right because I own it. We don't have any ownership rights, folks, because we are not owners. We are not creators, ever, ever. But we are always stewards. And because of that, we don't have rights, but we do have responsibilities. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. We see some very important principles here. We see again how foolish that boasting and arrogance really are. We see how much we rely on God for anything and everything that we have. We also see that it's okay to enjoy the good things that God gives us. You know, we're, 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 we're not to be uh, those who say, well, I can't enjoy that because somebody else doesn't have that. God gives us good things to enjoy. But then we also see how clearly that we are responsible to treat those good things we enjoy with an open hand, willing to give them away, not hanging on to it, mine, right? 
We see that in Scripture in this passage as well. We want to treat those things we enjoy with an open hand. We want to be, as it says in this passage, rich in good works. We also see that we can't take it with us. You've heard that phrase, right? You can't take it with us. But this says that you can send it on ahead. Storing up for themselves, it says in verse 19, a good reserve for the age to come. So our good works are storing up for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. That's real life, folks. So we see we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. We see that owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. That's what we are, folks. We are stewards. God owns, and we are stewards of what he owns. God, in his amazing grace, has allowed us to enjoy good things. Amen? But in that enjoyment... He entrusts to us, each of us, a responsibility to live strategically with his gifts. That means we must manage what God owns and we must manage it well. To manage it well, we must manage it according to God's desires and God's purposes, not just to what we want to do with what is mine. How do we know his desires and purposes? Well, fortunately, he hasn't left us empty there either. He's given us his word. So we know primarily through his word how we will know his desires, his purposes for all the things that we have, material, spiritual, emotional, etc., etc. But we have to admit too, don't we, that his word doesn't always give us specifics. What it does give is principles. When it doesn't give specifics, it gives us principles that guide us. The Word says, for example, give. The Word says serve. The Word says do good works. But how do we give and to whom and how much? The Word says serve. But how? Like a steward, you know what? A steward has a lot of discretion in how to manage what God has given. A steward has some boundaries, okay? Has maybe a few specific things, but a steward has a lot of discretion. And so do we within biblical boundaries of how we are to manage God's good gifts to us. So apart from some specifics which Scripture does provide, and there are some specifics, and we won't spend all day looking at those, but there's an example of the tithe. The tithe is a principle. It's not a law, but there's a specific of how to give, right? Like the reality that we are to serve and minister to widows and orphans and, to, and the poor. Those are some specifics. That's how we... To, the kind of people we are to serve, etc., etc., Or the reality, as it says in Scripture, that we put others before ourselves. Okay, those are some specifics, but even those don't narrow it down sometimes. So what does it do? It comes down to our hearts. It comes down to our heart attitude. Do we have an attitude of stewardship, or do we insist on acting like an owner who has complete and total rights over all we have? And When we think that way, that means we can do whatever we want with our resources because after all, they're mine. I can do what I want. Now, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 gives part of the answer to this. It highlights some of these principles that we're looking at this morning. It's not so much about how money, how much money each of the servants earned with what the master gave them. It's more about their faithfulness in using what God had given them. Jesus said that the master gave each one a different amount of money, and it says, according to his ability. 
that's comforting to me, folks, because I don't have the same ability you have. And so God gives me the resources he gives me according to my ability. That's, that's encouraging and comforting because I don't have to look at how you're managing your resources. I just have to look at how I'm managing. They were accountable to their master and their master alone. I'm not, I don't have to worry about you guys. The owner who entrusted his resources to three different ones, and he said, use this well. In other words, manage this well. What I'm giving you, manage it well. The good and faithful servant, according to Jesus, was the one who had been faithful over a little. Faithfulness to be God's stewards is being faithful to what he's given us, with what he's given us, not faithful with what he's given someone else. That's why it doesn't work to say, and I've heard people say that, it doesn't work to say, if I was a millionaire, I'd give more. That doesn't work. If you can't be faithful with what you have, what makes you think you'd be faithful if you had a lot more to give? That's why we can't say, gee, if I had more time, I'd do this or I'd do that. Now let me make a shocking statement here. Everybody's busy. Who in here can raise their hand and say, I'm never busy? I, you know, I just don't think any of us can say that. We all have plenty to do. Most days, more of us have, uh, most of us have more to do than we can possibly do. It's clear that this, this theme of being God's stewards reaches beyond material resources, like money or possessions, and it reaches beyond our giftings, the things that we can do. Our stewardship even includes our time. Now, you see how we phrase that, our time? It's not my time. It's not my time. It's God's time. God created time. He created time. There was no time before God created. Did you think of that? There was no time. God created time. It's his. He created it. And you know what? We all have the same amount, 24 hours in each day. Yes, clearly some of us have a little more time than others because some of us have more to do. Some of us have less to do. Some of us may be in a season when we literally cannot add one more thing to our schedule. And you know what? This is comforting to me too. God sees this and he knows this. He knows where we are. What's more, since it's God's time and we're only managers of God, we have a responsibility to manage that well, just like we have a responsibility to manage our material resources, our money. We have a responsibility to manage that well according to his desires, his priorities, his purposes. And again, we have a lot of discretion here. But is our heart attitude that God owns my time, that it's God's schedule? Is my schedule God's schedule? Does God have the right to interrupt my schedule to change it, to accomplish something else he desires? Even when my schedule didn't include or anticipate this interruption, now, again, admittedly, this can be difficult, okay? Because we want to say yes to God's interruptions. I want to be able to say yes if this is God's interruption for my day. But I also want to say no if it's a distraction in my time that's not part of his plans and purposes for me. I think that's one reason we so desperately need the direction of the Holy Spirit. We need the clarity of his word for principles of what he would have us be doing. And we even need the wisdom that God provides through our brothers and sisters in Christ. God uses each of us 
in the lives of other people, and we need that. Each of us is frail and fallible in hearing from God. We can make mistakes, but when we have godly brothers and sisters in Christ around us, sometimes that can help us see things a little more clearly in our stewardship of our time. Just the other day, I told a brother that I thought it was okay that he placed a boundary around his time in a specific incident that he relayed to me. He was kind of wrestling with guilt about uh, ministering to this person in his life, but also how persistent this person had become in demanding his time. So I said, it's okay to have boundaries. And we talked about this, and we sorted this out together. I trust we sorted it out with the guidance of the Holy Spirit in that moment. But sometimes we need to be good stewards of our time. And then related to that, there's the whole conundrum of our selfish nature. Selfishness is deeply rooted in all of us. It's part of our sin nature, which is why the Holy Spirit works so hard, so often, so many different ways in all of our lives toward the direction of rooting out that selfishness for the purpose of making us more Christ-like. Most often, he does that through the circumstances of our lives, not somebody coming and telling us you're selfish. He teaches us that through the circumstances of our lives. Yet because God owns us, because God owns me, that means he owns my physical self too, not just my spirit. And he wants me to care for that as well. We read in Psalm 103, 13 and 14, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So think of this, when an earthly father sees his children are tired, they're just worn out, what does he do? He sends them to bed, right? Go to bed, you're tired. Kids get cranky when they're tired. I get cranky when I'm tired. But an earthly father and our heavenly father knows their frame. He knows our frame. He understands how frail and fallible we are. He understands human weakness. He understands frailty. We need rest. We need sleep. That's what kids need, and dad knows it. So off to bed you go, my child, right? So we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to us, or to God, and not to us. Now this says to me that there is a legitimate reality of the need for self-care. And that there is a difference between legitimate self-care on the one hand and selfishness on the other. Legitimate self-care, I want to say, is stewardship. Legitimate self-care is stewardship. We are all jars of clay. We are frail. We are breakable. I belong to God, and that means all of me. It includes my physical self. So if I'm not exercising, if I'm not sleeping or getting enough rest, if I'm drinking to excess, if I'm doing drugs, if I'm eating cheeseburgers for breakfast, lunch, and dinner five days a week, if I'm doing too much, if I'm stretched too thin, I'm not being a good steward of what God has given to me. If I'm not protecting in some way my ability to minister and to serve, I'm not being a good steward. And I won't be any good to God or anybody else. Properly taking care of myself is not selfishness. It's stewardship. God expects me as a good steward to take care of myself. Not so I can be lazy, not so I can have excuses not to serve, 
but so I can be an effective instrument for his use because after all, I belong to him. That's why the Sabbath is such an important principle for us. God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired from all that creating. He wasn't tired. He didn't need rest. He did that to show us a pattern for us. God never slumbers or sleeps, Scripture tells us. We do. I slumber and I sleep. Sometimes not nearly as much as I want to. But we do it because we can't function without us, without it. So a degree of self-care is just good stewardship. But you knew there was one coming, right? Even recognizing this, there's a danger here. Because as we noted a moment ago, selfishness is so deeply rooted in all of us. And the risk here is that we'll use our legitimate need for self-care illegitimately. So if I'm using my need for self-care selfishly, or I'm using it as an excuse for not doing something I'm supposed to do, I'm not being a good steward either. Because again, if God owns me, my time is his time. My flesh is his flesh. He can do what he wants with it. And he wants me to take care of it, but he wants me to use it for his purposes. If my time's really God's time, I want to be using it for him. So it's a challenge. And so this is even really dangerous for me to say to you, our congregation here this morning, You know why? Because I may be recruiting you to do something someday. And you may say, no, Bill, I'm not going to do it. I'm just being a good steward of my time and my energy. And you're going to throw this sermon right back in my face. So how do we know the difference? How do we know the difference? Yes, we are to pour ourselves out for others. We are to live sacrificially. But sometimes it's hard to tell where that line is. And again, that's why we need each other. That's why we need the clear direction of his word. That's why we need the clear direction of his Holy Spirit. And I don't think I can decide for you. I don't think I can decide for you. I don't think I can give you a generic applies to everybody 10 steps to determine when it's legitimate self-care on the one hand or selfishness on the other hand. Though I will say in individual circumstances we might be able to help each other sort that out together. This takes some honest, spirit-given self-awareness. It takes some introspection. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know what you're capable of. It takes some help from a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Is this task, for example, or is this meeting, or is this role that's set before me good stewardship of my time, something God would have me invest in, or is it something that I should not, maybe cannot do? I'll always remember the phrase from the little booklet that many of us read years ago called Tyranny of the Urgent. You remember the phrase, the need is not the call? Some of you read that book. There are a lot of needs in our midst. I am called to be involved in and invest in my time, my resources in meeting some of those. I am. I am not called to invest and be involved with my time and my resources in meeting all of those needs. Think about it. Did Jesus heal everybody he encountered? We read about the encounters that he had where he healed, right? Surely there were other sick people in those towns. Surely there were other needs that Jesus passed by. The need was not the call. When I understand that, when I understand that the need is not the call, 
and I have enough self-awareness to know that I'm being real with myself. I'm not using this as an excuse to be lazy. Okay, When I understand that, I can freely and without guilt leave those needs to God, trusting that He will use others to meet that need. And again, I, I say this is dangerous. This is a dangerous thing for me to say because sometimes we can use this perspective as a cop-out. We can use it as an excuse, and we can minister to no one and nowhere. So it comes down to our heart attitude. What do we really think? Are we God's stewards or are we not? Are we willing stewards wanting to serve the master with all of our resources, our physical, our spiritual, our emotional resources? I really believe that if this is true of our heart, that God will direct us. If, if our heart attitude is right in this, I believe that God will direct us. And we don't have to have this mystical, you know, should I, should I invite Mike out for lunch because Mike needs ministry because he's got that bum hand now. I mean, you know, I, do I have to do that? I, I think if my heart is right, we'll be able to just do these things. And, and you know, it's kind of a, in a flow with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will direct us if that's our heart. Now, if it's not our heart, then I'm not sure we can really trust that that will happen. If we really believe that, if we really practice the kind of spirituality that's actually outlined in Matthew 6.33, God will direct us. Matthew 6.33 says what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. That's the uh, BSP, the Bill Sullivan paraphrase of that verse. Stewardship is a matter of priorities, folks. When we make God's priorities our priorities and we do that because he's the owner and we're just managing all of the resources he provides us we're managing our time we're managing our possessions we're managing our gifts we're managing our money when we do this and this is our heart's desire even when we have difficult choices we can trust that God will guide us but there's much clarity too in scripture about those priorities certainly enough to at least keep us on the path to good stewardship. And you know what else I thought about related to this area of stewardship? This extends very clearly to our emphasis on evangelism. After all, we have been given the gospel. It is a gift to us. The message of redemption, the message of salvation, it belongs to God like everything else. It's from him. It's about him. It's not ours to keep. In fact, it's incredibly selfish if we keep this message to ourselves. It's eternal life for us, but it's eternal death for those apart from Christ. So it's not for us to keep for ourselves. It's ours to give away because that's how the master wants us to invest the gospel, not to keep it to ourselves. Salvation's a gift, like everything else that we have is a gift. And to manage it well, to be good stewards of the gospel, we must share it with others. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We are stewards, folks, of the mysteries of God, and the mysteries of God certainly include his marvelous plan of redemption from the beginning of time. We read in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, 
for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. A responsibility as the manager of God's good gift of salvation. So yes, stewardship is definitely about money, folks. But it's about so much more than that. It's about what we keep to use righteously as God's provision in our lives and then what we give away because he's given to us. It's about the clear understanding of Scripture that God owns everything and we're just managing what he's allowed us to manage. But we have a responsibility to manage it according to the will of God. He's the boss, folks. He's the boss. We are just his managers. And it's our job to do what he wants us to do with all of the resources that we call ours. Our time. It's his to use as he sees fit. Our money. It belongs to him. He allows us to use what we need and he allows us to enjoy the things that that brings. But he expects us to use it for his purposes. All our possessions. Our relationships. And there's a lot of ways we could go this morning. We could look at how do we steward the relationships that God has given us. Our physical gifts. Our spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 23 tells us that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. That price was the precious blood of Jesus. May God make us into good and faithful stewards of his gracious gifts to us. May we be stewards whose management of what God gives is strategic. Stewards whose uh, management is well thought out and spirit directed to advance his kingdom. May we be those kinds of stewards whose giving of the resources he provides is nothing short of lavish, just as his love is for us. Amen. Father God, thank you for the clarity of your word on what we are to be as your servants, that we are to be your stewards, Lord, that you've given us so many things to enjoy and you have so richly blessed us, but it all belongs to you, God. So I do pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd help us to be good managers, to be good administrators, to be wonderful stewards of all that you've given us from our time to our talent to our possessions, to our relationships, and everything that we see in our lives, Lord, that we would be good stewards, Lord, and we would always have that in mind whenever we receive a gift and a blessing from you. In Jesus' name, amen.